0: Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at Insightla.org.
1: All right. Yeah, so we can go ahead we can go ahead and start. So I'm gonna start with a half hour silent meditation. So go ahead and move into a nice posture for practice. Eyes to close. And maybe allowing to come to mind your intention for practice, your motivation. Seeing if you can connect to the heart, know this intention. Getting a felt sense of this intention in the body, in the mind, in the heart itself. And seeing if your intention could actually provide some some energy for the practice. And it's very easy to to provide some gratitude or for the motivation to lead to gratitude. I should say, as now you have an opportunity to practice. So this is cause for rejoice. Turning inward, sitting still, especially with a group of spiritual friends is extremely rare for most of us. So allowing for some gratitude to arise. I'm here, I'm sitting. Turning inward, being with self. And you can continue to soften the mind, allowing the mind to relax, to release, by allowing some loving kindness into the space. And maybe just starting off with an attitude of gentleness to what you find in the moment, what you find inwardly, the internal and the external. Just noticing what's arising and see what it means to meet it with gentleness. spaciousness of the heart mind giving everything you notice lots of room to be rise and fall away. Including all your own judgments that may be arising on how this moment should be or how you should be. Happens when you meet them with the heart. This flavor of loving friendliness, kindness, compassion, and gentleness. Paying attention to your effort here. The mind is resting on the feeling tone of gentleness. And if you cannot get a felt sense of gentleness, it's simply the intention. Word, gentleness, if you were to drop that word into the lake of your awareness, how would it reverberate out through the mind, through the body, through the emotions? And as you experiment with meeting this moment with gentleness, with this open awareness that is doing so, notice if you find any pockets of stillness peace within the totality of this experience itself and seeing if you could simply gravitate towards whatever that might be You have many opportunities to follow different things arising. Following thoughts, different emotions, sounds, sensations. And seeing if you could follow this gentleness into peace, into stillness. Maybe you will notice it naturally occurring somewhere in your awareness. And then continuing to be in this moment with a sense of spiritual confidence. The confidence that this peace and stillness abides here. And then there's no need to cultivate it. And there's no need to wish to sustain it. It's not going to run out or run away. It's simply here, naturally occurring. Simply, simply to be witnessed. So I will leave the last ten minutes or so free of instruction. i so just simply continuing to move towards gentleness, kindness. Peace and stillness with this confidence. Hey there, good to see you all. I don't know if you noticed, I like, I did a portion of that guidance on mute. <laughs> oh, great. I was like, oh man. Yeah, so we yeah, thought we'd share today, you know, talk a bit about the six perfections. And... um and maybe just kind of like the whole path, you know, a little bit of that kind of whole structure of sex uh, uh, perfections really are the core to the Bodhisattva path. And so maybe talking a little bit about that. And depending on the time and how this goes, we might go into another a bit of, of meditation. But Don uh, just put in the chat box. Um. The six perfections. Now you'll you'll see in the six perfections um, here outlined: um, generosity, discipline, patience, uh, diligence, meditative concentration, and wisdom. Uh, you'll see this list, and you'll also see this list uh, in in a form of ten. So this is this is fairly like a, what I like to call it like the Tibetan list. So in Theravada, um, sometimes you'll see the list of six perfection, or I mean, I'm sorry, ten ten paramis, ten perfections. Paramitas or paramis uh, simply means perfections. They have taken in, in those lists, they have taken the final piece, the wisdom piece, and broken it down even further into four different pieces. So there's a total of ten. Um, here we're going to work with a more traditional Tibetan Mahayana list of six, and um, yeah, this is really, really a uh, comprehensive. You know, if you want to stick to the six, you can. <laughs> if you want to do the ten, you could. But we're just going to stick with this. There's a lot. There's a lot here, um, just with the six. It generally speaking, as you know, as a pathway we see these used in a very similar fashion on how we might look at the Eightfold Path so the traditional look at the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and using of course the Brahma the these foundational aspects of the heart kind of within, within that system is a very, very, very basic outline of what a, the path might look like and in the Mahayana tradition, especially in the Tibetan tradition, they use more of the, the six perfections in the same way as you might, you might use the, the Eightfold Path. And so kind of speaking about this, uh, just a, a little bit about where it fits in you know, to the path as a whole. I really like I found something with Bhikkhu Bodhi, who is, of course, an amazing Theravada scholar uh, and monk, and he talks about the Pyramids in this way. In established Theravada tradition, the Pyramids are not regarded as a discipline peculiar to candidates for Buddhahood alone, but as practices which must be fulfilled by all aspirants to enlightenment and deliverance, whether as Buddhas or disciples. What distinguishes the Supreme Bodhisattva from aspirants in the two vehicles is a degree to which the paramis must be cultivated and the length of time they must be pursued. But the qualities themselves are universal requisites for deliverance, which all must fulfill to at least a minimal degree to merit the fruits of the liberating path. So he's saying like the Bodhisattva path, which is, again, more the Mahayana path, there's a greater emphasis on it, so they will be studied more and cultivated more. But he's saying all of us on the way to enlightenment should cultivate these to some degree. And the important part is, uh, you know, we mentioned at least fulfill uh, to at least a minimal degree to merit The fruits of the liberating path and merit here is a very um, is a word associated with the paramis quite a bit because the first five of them are merit building practices and they lead to the fruition of the ripening of of wisdom. So we start off with generosity and discipline, patience diligence and concentration and these are all what we call merit building practices and they deliver us into the experiential wisdom that we're looking for the sixth one right so we're going to go more into this uh, that these are more on a relative um, level and then the ultimate uh, relative bodhicitta and the ultimate bodhicitta would be the fruition the actual experience Of of the bodhisattva path, uh, which is the direct realization of of truth or emptiness uh, or whatnot. The bodhisattva path really the 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 core intention is to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all of all beings, right? So we can kind of start there with that intention, and we call this aspiration bodhicitta. So just aspiring this this aspiring towards enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. And so maybe we could, we could say before the aspiration bodhicitta is, well, I would say it's incorporated within that the aspiration bodhicitta is setting, setting forth that intention for practice. I'm sorry, that intention to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. And so as someone goes without saying that, um, you know, incorporated within that intention is the obvious truth that we think we cannot help all sentient beings until we are ourselves free, right? If we're both in quicksand, um, yeah, we obviously can't, can't help one another, right? So we have to free ourselves first and then you know, move towards um, freeing all beings. So may I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. This is a core intention. So, within, within this path as a whole, we have that aspiration bodhicitta and we have the engagement, we call engagement bodhicitta. And so, the aspiration bodhicitta is, you know, core basis intention. And then also the Brahma the Viharas fit within this category. So, again, kind of taking this as an entire, an entire path. We set out with this intention and then we start we begin to transform the mind by practicing the Brahma Viharas, the four immeasurables, the loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity. And so these are again are on um, a relative level and just to kind of unpack that for uh, for a moment. These are transforming the mind with the mind. So there's a whole category of teachings that are, are cultivating positive qualities. There's another category of teachings that are recognizing our innate positive qualities, and they're one and the same. right? So we are cultivating these positive qualities until we recognize that they're already there to be discovered. And there's a notion, however, that by paying attention to these positive qualities, of course, we are abandoning the unwholesome qualities. And so, and this is also giving us a very, you know, tangible pathway to this, to the discovery of our innate qualities. So we're starting off with transforming the mind through the contemplation of uh, the four aspects. And so this is... Um, you know traditionally in in the path of the mahayana tradition we can practice loving kindness um and then we kind of we we go from from there into the engagement practices and so what we mean by engagement practices is just how it sounds like so instead of just aspiring to um, this level of, of Bodhisattva, we're actually going to engage in the qualities, and this is where the six perfections come in, and then also a couple different styles of uh, Bodhicitta practices, which I'm going to go over. So the six perfections, these qualities, they represent the actual, qual- the embodied qualities of of a bodhisattva so when we're engaging in the generosity discipline uh, diligence um, concentration uh, wisdom these are the actual embodied qualities of the bodhisattva and what i really like about them as opposed to i guess say you know for practicing the full path or the six perfections they're both wonderful, wonderful, obviously. What I do like about the six perfections is that they can be used in a more linear fashion where the eightfold path, just kind of revisit them for a moment, the eightfold path, the right view, right intention, right motivation, right speech, right livelihood, right action, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. You know, so we have the Eightfold Path is very much intertwined. We have the prajna, the wisdom pieces, we have the sila, the, the, the ethics pieces, and then we also have the, the meditation, um, you know, samadhi, concentration pieces. Those are very much intertwined, and we teach them, even though they're in a quote-unquote order, they're, they're not practiced in order. Whereas the Six Perfections can very me, very well be practiced um, in order and that they, they give life to uh, one another. So the, the next step. So we start off with generosity with the six perfections. And we start off with generosity because generosity has to do with things that are external. It's actually very difficult for us to move uh, directly um, internal and start working internally. So we start off with generosity and this is kind of puts the focus outward where we're more accustomed to quote-unquote living and it's through this, this generosity that discipline can begin to arise so it's because of this, this generosity to cultivate the attitude of generosity it's because of this we can start to formulate some form of of discipline and the discipline is refraining from harm the discipline in in this particular you know like an attitude or flavor is to do no harm so by cultivating generosity we're also cultivating this this um, attitude of of non-harming because of the discipline patience begins to naturally arise in in mind um the ability not to be perturbed by anything that's very grandiose like i would say patience starts off smaller than that (laughs) um and and then diligence and then concentration and then wisdom i want to note here because i forgot actually in the beginning um there's also a, a term for the six, the uh, you know the pyramids to be um, this term of the transcendent perfections. There's the uh, ways to 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 transcend, and really we, we talk about this transcendent nature of the pyramids in that the pyramids are transcending um, the idea or the concept of a permanent fixed self this is very important which i should have you know spoke about this kind of in the beginning the entire path is moving towards right view of the right view of self that it's not permanent it's not fixed it's not singular right and so when we're looking at these perfections we can see that there's a a selfless quality to them you know, as the Theravada tradition really emphasizes non-grasping mind in the Mahayana Tibetan tradition, they really emphasize compassion because they both lead to selflessness, right? So it's just a, a different way to, to get there. So we're transcending self. So you can kind of see through generosity, the beginning of this is that we move away from that self-cherishing, not in a way that of course it's not wonderful to give ourselves you know, love and kindness and all of that. But it it starts to to generate that selfless nature right from the beginning. And our discipline is of course to non harm, so it continues with that selflessness. And the diligence here is to find is the opposite, like once we let go of the the unwholesome, is to find joy in the wholesome. This is what we we mean by discipline: is to find joy in the wholesome, which is a really beautiful way to put discipline. And sometimes discipline can feel more constrictive, but actually, we we want to use our awareness to notice that when I'm actually engaged in the wholesome, this feels much better. You know, I have I'm finding joy in this virtue, right? So this is the attitude that we want to you know, bring to this, this aspect of the pyramids. And then meditative concentration. So meditative concentration, this aspect of the pyramids, this is really, this this piece is partially on the relative and partially on the absolute. So again, moving from relative bodhicitta to absolute bodhicitta again, Absolute bodhicitta is the full realization of of selflessness. That we are all, that we are interconnected. That there is no self and other. That my freedom is your freedom. Uh, so on and so forth. So, the generosity, discipline, and patience and diligence are setting the foundation, gaining the merit for the fruition the dawning, the ripening of the enlightened mind. It's pure, they're purifying the enlightened mind. And in meditation, we start to move into the wisdom aspect. So these are like the philosophical underpinnings and maybe some more of the informal practice. On the actual technique side, we have the intention, may I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all being. Then we have the Brahma Viharas, practicing loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity. Then we have these, these kind of more intensified compassion exercises. In the Tibetan tradition, they use Tong Lin, the, the, the technique of giving and receiving. And also what they call the seven-point cause and effect method, which we might have time to go over to today. So these more intensified practices of the heart, and then the final piece is wisdom, is to actually rest in in open awareness, in true nature of mind. So that's the culmination of you know uh, of all of the all the whole the whole path, all of the. Purification, the merit building, other practices—they deliver us into just resting in the true nature of mind, and we see these beautiful examples of this path um, kind of laid out in these wonderful texts, like the Heart Sutra. You know, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. So it would be basically the experiential understanding of. Uh, of a beautiful text like this, resting in our true nature of mind. So we can see that from, you know, even a technique, um, a look at the different techniques, we could follow this all the way into the realization of um, of, of, of of a bodhisattva, right? And of course, this bodhisattva, bodhisattva vow is not only to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings but also stay you know with and this is kind of going into like reincarnation and whatnot but just want to throw it out there like because I didn't mention what is a bodhisattva bodhisattva is somebody who not only has this aspiration to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings but has a sincere wish to somehow some way free all beings no matter how many lifetimes it takes You know, where Buddhahood is more of kind of moving more towards the unmanifest state where Bodhisattvas have a commitment to stay in the manifested realms for as long as it takes to free all beings from suffering. Yeah. So here's just a beautiful quote um, from Ken... Uh, Rinpoche, K-H-E-N, Rinpoche, on the Bodhisattva path. An effortless compassion can arise for all beings who have not realized their true nature. So limitless is it it that if tears could express it, you would cry without end. Not only compassion, but tremendous skillful means can be born when you realize the true nature of mind. Also, you are naturally liberated from all suffering and fear. Then, if you were to speak of the joy and bliss that arises from this realization, it is said by the Buddhas that if you were to gather all the glory, enjoyment, pleasure, and happiness of the world and put it all together, it would not approach one tiny fraction of the bliss that you experience upon realizing the nature of mind. I plucked out that quote because rarely in Buddhism do we talk about the bliss <laughs> of true nature of mind. Uh, Buddhism's heavy on recognizing suffering and uh, the causes of suffering and whatnot. Um, and I mention this because the path of the bodhisattva is is a very joyful one. You know, we're connected to the heart. And obviously we're connected to the suffering of others. That great, uh, that great image that all bodhisattvas have one eye crying, right? So one eye is crying for the suffering of others. And then also the one eye is not crying, right? We have that wisdom piece that can be uh, very joyful so this path actually has with it innately lots of lots of enlivened energy i like that word when we're talking about the brahma viharas compassion loving kindness compassion and loving kindness sympathetic joy equanimity these practices are enlivened you know these are energizing practices they're not sorrowful right it's not something that brings us down a compassionate heart actually has a lot of energy to it and a lot of positive energy. So we are not you know you know in a ditch suffering with others. We are you know kind of above reaching our hand down right and pulling pulling people up. nobody's asking us to jump in the ditch you know with them right? And so, yeah. So we should have this, you know, positive qualities of mind in mind. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like when I, you know, talk about the perfections and and whatnot, and these kind of big scopes that it could, I kind of bite off more than I could chew for a Sunday for a Sunday sit. But I wanted to to give us an 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 idea of of the, what, what many practice as an entire path. And even when you come into the, you know, many of you may be thinking of where just like shamatha and concentration practices fit in, the more stabilizing, uh, calming the mind practices. Actually, metta you know, can be can be used for stabilis- stabilization of mind. So we could use the, the practices of, of metta, and loving kindness and compassion training to even stabilize the mind. Uh, We could even, we we could do that. So uh, I want to, even though I know we're a little short on time, but I still want to do it because I rarely, rarely ever get to, to share this technique. Um, So this is the meat of it. This is really the meat of uh, an example of one of the engagement practices that we can do. So Tonglin is one. And I'm, I'm going to actually Lead us through a technique that is even not as popular as Tonglin, um, which is seven-point cause and effect method. And it's it's a tough sell, <laughs> this one. This is why I rarely ever share it. But if you if you like it, you like it, and if you don't, you don't. That's fine. I'm going mean, to teach it in a really traditional way. And there's there's some of us that you know, might not believe in reincarnation aspect. So there is an aspect of visualizing that, hey, you know, maybe we are reborn and I'm not omniscient. I don't know either. But um, there's that aspect. There's also an aspect here um, that we're visualizing all beings that have been our mothers in the past. And some of us don't have, like, a perfect maybe relationship with, with mothers. Just so you know, you can exchange that to any endearing you know, um, figure in your life that has been caring and, and kind to you I'm going to use uh, the, the, the mother figure because again it's, it's just tradi- it is it's just very traditional uh, there's a saying in, in Tibetan Buddhism mother sentient beings and this is to think that maybe all beings have been our mothers in the past have been kind to us so I'm going to go ahead and go over this practice we can get do it together And then, you know, if we have time, we'll go into smaller groups and see how it was or may it just stay in the large group. But (laughs) Um, yeah, so go ahead and move back in. We won't it won't be a too long of a practice and move back into a nice posture for sitting. And allowing your eyes to close if you like. And the first part of this practice is simply an equanimity practice, and in this way to to build some uh, a feeling tone, I should say, of equanimity. We're just seeing all beings as equal, a little bit different from equanimity practice in other traditions. We're speaking more towards equanimity of, or equanimity in mind. This is seeing all beings as equal. So one way to do this is simply recognize that enemies can become Friends, enemies can become friends, and friends can become enemies. And strangers can become either, they can become enemies, but strangers can also become loved ones. So, just seeing the impermanent nature of our relationships. Just noticing this. And then seeing if in your heart mind you could just equalize all beings. All beings are wishing for more happiness, less suffering. And next, contemplating The possibility, and I think for most of us, that's all this is. It's just a possibility. Maybe we don't know for sure. But it's possible that all beings have been our mothers in the past. Just maybe we are Incarnating beings, and we have been reincarnating for countless eons, as some of the masters say. And through this process, we've all cared for one another in this intimate way. It's possible. And contemplating the kindness of mothers and thinking about mothers in different species in the animal kingdom and of course human mothers thinking about how kind it is to simply carry a child let alone giving birth. And thinking about the countless animal species that routinely give up their life, risk their life on a daily basis for their young, without question. Literally standing in the way of a predator, asking the predator to eat them just to protect their child. They're young. Amazing. And all the sacrifices of mothers all the different aspects of sacrifices, jobs, preparing meals, doctor appointments, the list is infinite. So contemplating this kindness and saying this might be so, thinking I must repay the kindness of these mother sentient beings. And think for a moment this might encompass all beings, an ant, a bird, That spider I saw in my house last week, that was a mother sentient being. I must repay their kindness. these mother-sending beings, not only did they show me kindness, but love, great love. So generating in my own heart, mind, this sincere intention, I want to repay that too. not only the kindness but the great love as well to all these sentient beings my neighbors my coworkers the dog barking next door How can I repay that great love to them? I'm yearning to do so. only did these mother sentient beings show me kindness and love, they showed me great compassion, the sincere wish to see me free from suffering. And I wish to repay that as well. I want to give them compassion. All mothers and teen beings, every one of them without exception. Contemplating, like, like myself, all these beautiful mother sentient beings are in delusion on this endless will of samsara. They have yet to awaken to their true nature of goodness, peace, tranquility. the true, sustainable, and reliable freedom from suffering. So I must free myself from my own delusions so I could show them how to as well. Thus I make the extraordinary vow to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all these beautiful mothers and teen beings. I must do so. all that they have done must attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. All right So, with our somewhat limited time left, um, maybe we'll just open it up. We'll just stay with a larger group for now. and um, yeah, anyone have any any you know comments on how? Uh, the talk beforehand or that meditation, maybe you've all done it before as well. So any thoughts or comments on on the topic or questions, of course. Good
0: morning. Um, Good morning. Um, I'm really grateful that you started that meditation talking about sort of the equality of all people because where that took me then in the meditation sort of thinking about everyone having been my mother was that even in people I know who aren't mothers and in myself before I became a mother there could be mothering qualities inherent in in me in all of us that can come out you know and it felt like if if you're thinking about sort of the this the the equalness of us all we all have that compassionate instinct once you take away defilements and you take away greed aversion and delusion what's there you know and so i for me i it was it was really resonating like that you know, not thinking of everybody as my mother, whose name is Joan, and she looks like this, and she, you know, likes these things or what, you know, but like that sort of mothering quality that is is really, truly uh, present in all of us. The potential is very much there in all of us. And so my job is to be aware of greed, aversion, and the delusion in myself, and when is it getting in the way of my doing that, my being that way. And so that's how that thread of kind of was with was was with me through the whole practice. Thank you.
1: Perfect. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, I just noticed a, a contrast, like in the the way this is set up, where the motivation uh, to pay back all of this loving and compassionate energy is from a sense of gratitude in contrast to our complicated relationships with our own mothers where yeah. something something might be because I feel guilty or you know uh, and it could go much deeper than that obviously psychologically you know getting into unworthiness or badness or you know doing something just to be nice or um, so I just noticed that really sharp contrast in how this the possibility of generating this from a sense of gratitude and not from a sense of guilt. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you.
2: Yeah, so um, for me, it's just always been one of my favorite concepts. Um, I wouldn't call it a belief in the sense of, um, I always think of it as you, one, cannot prove to me that that's true, that all beings at one time could have been my mother, but you can't prove to me that it wasn't true. So I love the concept that it's a possibility, but more than that is the concept. I don't tend to think of my own mother when we do this. I think of um, that maternal role like you gave with the with the sentient beings, um, animals and, and others, and just think that at any time, anyone out there that I interact with could have at one time had that role in my life. And therefore, I need to treat them as if that were so. And that's where it lays for me. And it's, it's always a very kind of grounding um, experience for me. So I, I love it when you do this. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: Yeah, for me, Casey, this, um, helps me soften around those, um, difficult relationships that I have, and I don't have a lot, <laughs> but I do have one that, you know, I really struggle with. So it helps me, um, think of this person as, um, you know, the many roles that that person plays in his own life, you know, uh, He's a father, he's, you know, a businessman, you know, he has, I see him one way, but there's other people that see him another way. And while I might have a difficult relationship with him, others might not. So this this practice helps me become aware of that and soften a little bit um, in spite of those those challenges. very helpful
1: beautiful yeah it just reminds me of these practices you know there's such it's so it's so kind of obvious but it's so extremely profound that we transform our own minds and we're not changing anything on the external and i think like growing up i saw that It was the opposite like i tried to control the outside (laughs) i wanted things to be better i didn't think oh i want my mind to be better i want to meet things differently and that's such a great example then of just like yeah these practices softening our own mind you know and how yeah profound that is that's within us nothing changed on the outside yeah
3: Yeah, thank you, Casey. Uh, There's a couple of things that, you know, at a conceptual level, uh, it's just about the earth that is like, they call it Mother Earth, Mm -hmm. because it just keeps giving and giving and giving. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we all go back to it. But I was also thinking about our own personal mother as we were all growing up. That's like the main source of our relationship that we have with that person. Maybe we wanted to stay more to drink milk and then she had to go or something you know and then that's like a first uh pullback that we have from the world and then we are so in the symbiosis a state, a state at the beginning that is just no differentiation between us and her mm. uh, you know with some fathers the same way also but in a way that later on that we grow up and then uh, you know all the different Forces come at us, and then we act and uh, get engaged with the world. And some of us go to therapy. I think that the therapist's main role, at some point, is just like that unconditional, like mothering that you. We go back there for uh, getting back on, you know, having that primal relationship
1: fixed. Anyway, that's what's coming. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and I, I see this practice. Um I, I just heard I just, it kind of doesn't relate, but it it does just, you know, made me think of this question that a student asked a Rinpoche about, you know, if I give loving kindness to somebody, you know, does it really affect them? You know, like if I give loving kindness or even service, you know, to somebody, does it affect that somebody? And he says, Well, you know, depending on their karma, it might and at, but at the very least then it works on our own mind, you know, it works to purify our own mind and and it just Yeah, reminded me of that, you know, when you're talking about just mothering energy and that can we mother ourselves? you know, there's so much of this practice when we connect to the heart of Connecting to the heart in this way and and these beautiful intentions for others in this beautiful way is a mothering, uh, for ourselves that like our own, our own mind, you know, feels nourished and, and nurtured, um, uh, by, by this, by this energy, you know, so like we invoke something that is very gentle and kind with our own, with our own selves. And it's just beautiful, you know, all right. So just dedicating the merit, just moving into a posture one last time. And I, for one, feel so much gratitude to all of you for showing up spiritual friends. So sending so much kindness your way. Thank you so much. Maybe just having some gratitude for each other as a group to continuously keep showing up for one another, really, really appreciate it. So rare and beautiful. I was just talking to another friend who moved to Texas. And we're looking all around for a Sangha and we couldn't find one. And I felt so, and yeah, my heart was just with her, feeling so lucky to have Sangha. And so just wishing for all beings, you know, dedicating this merit to them. Any positivity, any wisdom, any love and compassion cultivated today, may all beings on somehow, some way may they feel this, sharing this merit with them. May all beings everywhere with that exception, may they all be happy. May they all be free from suffering. Om mani